Brian, for preparing our hearts today as we get ready to dive into God's Word. And uh, as you notice, that we're going to take a little break from Micah, and over the course of the summer, um, we will focus on the letter to the Philippians. As Brian said, it's one of his favorite books. I hope I, uh, I deliver, All right. but I know I will because the Spirit of God is in us and in me. And today, I want to I start by asking a question to the people in our congregation. What brings you joy in life? Is it kids? Grandkids? Family? Is it your job or your retirement? As you look at your accomplishments, maybe that's something that we can find joy in. For some of us, It may be our local sports teams. Maybe. How about your church? Do you find joy in being here at Poolsville? Do you find joy in serving the Lord? What about suffering for Christ? How quick would you be and willing to be even in prison. As I was preparing for today's sermon, I read a story of a missionary who was from the Czech Republic. And you'll see some pictures on the screen of Peter. Peter had grown up as a pastor's kid in a communist country. He became a Christ follower at age 15. And his family did a lot of Christian work under the communist regime training Christians through a network of secret churches across the country. God was preparing Peter for what was to come later on in life. On December 10th, now remember that date, December 10th, 2015, while in Sudan, Peter was arrested by airport security. He felt a tap on the shoulder, and as he turned around, he was met by the police. See, he had been meeting with Sudanese pastors in Sudan while he was serving with the voice of martyrs. And while in Sudan, he was under surveillance the whole time he was there. He was arrested, he was thrown in prison, and falsely charged with multiple crimes, which included espionage and entering the country illegally. He was thrown in a cell with members of the terrorist group that we know called ISIS, who were very hostile toward him because they knew that he was a Christian. Despite being harassed, beaten severely, called names by the terrorists, Peter realized that God had put him in there for a reason, for a plan. See, one day, God saved his life from the hands of these men, using the prison guard when his cellmates decided that they were going to torture him via waterboarding, and they threatened to slit his throat after. During his prison time, Peter struggled with depression. He struggled with discouragement. He didn't have the Word of God with him, and he was asking God, God, how long am I going to be here? How long will you keep me separated from my wife and children? 
How much more can I endure? Later on, the Lord answered those questions by moving him to a different prison where he was able to share his faith and to share his testimony with prisoners from the country of Eritrea. See, he had visited some of these people on a previous journey while he was serving with Voice of the Martyrs. In the words of Peter, the Lord had turned the tenth day of the month, normally a day of discouragement and depression, into a day of ministry and celebration. See, from that day on, Peter realized that God had placed him in that position for a purpose. He dedicated his prison time to the Lord. He had a change of heart. And he was no longer fretting about when he was going out, when he was going to be released. And here's what he prayed to the Lord. He said, I will stay here, Lord, as long as you give me an opportunity to share the gospel. My prison time is your time. He even stopped praying for his release. And God used him in a mighty way. While in prison, he had met two of the pastors from Sudan who were also arrested and he's also his translator. And they're also being tried as well. God used them in the new prison to be able to share the gospel. They would exchange Bible verses. His prisoners were across the cell. And they didn't have a Bible, but they would, they would memorize and exchange verses as they shared the word of God with them. They would recite Romans 12, 12 together, saying, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. We can rejoice today. We can be steadfast in prayer today, they yelled. Later on, eventually, the Sudanese prisoners, Peter and his translators, would be located to a different prison. And there they would be able to minister to many, many more other inmates as they were awaiting their trial. During the trial hearings for the Krishna prisoners, there were a lot of support by the local Sudanese Christians who would offer sing hymns as they were headed into the courthouse. They were risking their own lives by supporting their Christian brothers. The prisoners never felt alone. And not only God, but also his body was there, standing boldly with him during the trial proceedings. Long story short, on January of 2017, a couple of years later, Peter was found guilty and he was sentenced to 20 plus years in a political prison. The other Christian prisoners, they also were found guilty and received a less, lesser sentence. See, it was a difficult circumstance for Peter because, remember, he had promised some time ago to the Lord that his prison time would be given and devoted to God. But he wasn't sure it was going to be this long his whole life. But Peter found comfort in the promise that he had made to God. However, something happened miraculously a month later. In January, he was found guilty. On February of 17, a month later, he was found free. Miraculously, him and the other prisoners were let go and sent home. Here's what Peter wrote in his testimony. When my fellow prisoners heard the news, they rejoiced with me and shouted for joy. Other prisoners hugged me and rejoiced over my release. 
I was in prison for 445 days, about 14 months. And during that time, many prayed for me and my family. Returning back home after being sentenced to life in prison has given me an, an interesting perspective in life, he said. Although I gave my life in Christ when I was 15 years old, I think it has more meaning now when I say, Lord, the rest of my life is yours. You brought me out of prison. You saved me from a life sentence. The rest of my life is yours. It is in your hands. Here I am. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. Imagine being in Peter's situation. How would you respond? Would it be the same response? Would you find joy in serving Christ in those difficult circumstances? See, I shared this story with you today because we're going to focus on this theme today of finding joy in serving Christ. And this may look very different from us today here in the U.S., but know that brothers and sisters around the world are going through the same thing that our brother Peter is going through. And they're finding joy in those dire circumstances. Paul put it this way to the Philippians. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. See, as we look at the letter written to the Philippians, we, we find that Paul is in a similar situation. He was suffering for the Lord while he was in prison in Rome. He writes the letter to the Philippians from his prison walls. He writes it to inform the Philippian brothers and sisters, to thank them for their financial support, and also to encourage them in the Lord. In verse 1, turn your Bibles with me. In verse 1, Paul begins the letter with a greeting as it was customary in most of his writings. Usually, Paul would identify himself as an apostle of the Lord. But in this particular letter, that's not the case. How does Paul identify himself? He calls himself a bond servant, literally a slave for the Lord. As we read verse 1, he also includes Timothy's name in the letter. See, there was a special relationship between Paul and Timothy, and the Philippian brothers and sisters in Christ. As you read the letter, as we're going to study it for the next few months, we're going to find out that Paul uses letters and words such as I, me, and my. There are over a hundred occurrences in this short letter, and the word I is found 52 times. What does that tell us about Paul and the Philippians? He's not writing to just some strangers out in a distant land. He's writing to people that he knows, people that he has a close relationship with. This does not reveal that Paul was egocentric in his writing. In fact, it shows the personal close relationship that existed with the church. Some scholars consider this letter to be the letter of joy, a very personal letter to the Philippians. See, Timothy is included in the letter because to the Christian believers in Philippi, they also would want to know what's going on with Timothy. Paul and Timothy had founded the church in their second missionary journey. And Timothy played an important role in Paul's ministry. 
along with Silas and Luke, who were part of the missionary team that actually evangelized the city. We find that record in Acts chapter 16, if you want to read that home today. Acts 16 records of how Paul spread the gospel in Philippi. See, while in prison, as he's writing the letter, Paul is expecting one day to maybe be released and to be able to see his brothers and sisters and revisit them in the future. While in prison, Paul uses the opportunity to write letters, not just to the Philippians, but also to other churches. Bible history tells us that most of his epistles, okay, or letters were written actually while, while Paul was in prison. We call them the prison letters. So there's a lesson to be learned here, brothers and sisters. Paul, while in prison, he didn't complain or quit his mission. He didn't say, you know what, you know, times are tough. I'm just going to wait till I get out of here to get back on the mission field. That's not what he said. Paul is busy. He's continuing the work of the gospel. He instead is making good use of the time that God has given him under these circumstances. Sharing the good news of the gospel was more important to Paul than his comforts. Now let me ask you a personal question. As Pastor Joel says, I don't want to step on any toes, but what is the most you've suffered for Christ Jesus? Let me say that again. What is the most you have suffered for Christ Jesus as a Christ follower? See, suffering is necessary. Suffering for what we believe challenges our faith. It increases, and it's part of our Christian life. And the Apostle Paul understood this better than anyone in his time. See, Paul's confidence in Christ and the power of the gospel had emboldened him to serve God even while in prison. Paul writes the letter to the church and notice who he's writing the letter to. He's not just writing the letter to a couple of folks that he may know, maybe best friends from the church. He's writing the, the, the letter to the entire church, all the believers in the church. Notice in verse 1 and 2, it tells us who he's writing. He's writing to the believers, to the overseers and the deacons of the church. What does it tell us? He's, he's also connecting with the leadership of the church, the pastors. He's addressing the letter not just to the regular members, but even those who are leading the church. And notice how Paul addresses the believers in verse 1. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Are you a saint? See, in our traditional Christian culture, we view saints as these individuals who are high and mighty and have this elevated status in society. We see this especially true in our Catholic church. We even have churches that have names of saints. The other day I was working with Sunita. I had her job and one of the parents came in wearing a shirt saying, Patrick was a saint. I ain't. In reality, yes, we are not saints. I'm sure there's a reason why you wore that shirt. Around St. Patrick's, a lot of people wear that shirt to make a, make a statement, but... but if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, and you read this verse, Paul is saying you are a saint of Christ Jesus. And it's not of what you've done. It's because of the relationship that you have with Christ. 
If you've truly believed the gospel of the good news, you are a saint in Christ. Now, this does not mean that, that we're perfect or better than other people. Paul uses to address the saints, the believers in Philippi. And notice the, the, the Greek word that he uses is the Greek word hagias, which means those that are set apart. See, we, we, we misunderstand this word saint in our culture, in our world today. But Paul is saying, you're a saint in Christ Jesus because you've been set apart for Christ Jesus, just like the believers in Philippi had been set aside for God. Notice as he continues to the next verse, Paul uses two very important words. The word grace and peace. Robert P. Leitner in his commentary writes this. It says, the order that he used them is significant. Before there can be any genuine peace, there must be a personal response to God's grace is unmerited favor manifested climactically at Calvary. He doesn't say peace and grace. He says grace and peace with you. For us believers, see, we find grace and peace when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and God the Father. No matter how evil the world is getting, Whatever crazy things are happening in our country and around the world, politically, socially, economically, educationally, and even spiritually, our true peace and joy is found on God the Father and His Son Jesus. It is not found in our circumstances. See, after this initial greeting in the letter... Paul then gives praise and encouragement to the believers at Philippi. This brings us to our first point in our outline. How do we find grace in serving Christ? First, by giving thanks and praying for all believers in Christ Jesus. By giving thanks and praying for all believers in Christ Jesus. Have you ever received a note or a letter of encouragement from anyone? Do you ever write notes to encourage church members or maybe people that you care about? How about our missionaries? We have a few. See, back in the day before the time of emails, missionaries used to write letters that were read out loud in front of the entire church, just like what was happening at the church of Philippi with Paul's letter. The letter often included words of thanks and appreciation and what God was doing on their mission field. In today's world, the art of writing letters has been lost. A lot of times we may get email updates from missionaries, but how often do we write back and thank them for the hard work that they're doing on behalf of Christ? How often do we pray for them and thank the Lord for them? I want to challenge you to, I want to, challenge you to do that this week. There are missionaries that we support here at PBC who are in the trenches. They're in difficult parts of the world, and they need some encouragement, and they need lots of prayer from our congregation. See, one way that we can do that is through the bulletin. I didn't mention this earlier because I kept it in the service. You know, our church bulletin has a lot of ministry opportunities that we can be a part of, that we can pray for and participate in. 
And in the bulletin program, there's this insert that says, welcome. Okay, for those of you that are our guests, okay, we would be delighted to have this, your information, your family's information, how we can connect with you, and just even encourage you, send a note of encouragement saying, thank you for being part of our church service today. But in the back, there's a very important part. It says, how can we pray for you? And opportunities like this, we want to be able to make available to you every week. And then thank God for the things that he's doing and the way that he's working. Read through the bulletin to see how you can be part and how you can be encouraging to people, even our missionaries. Reach out to Pastor Joel and leadership about how we can connect with those who are serving the Lord overseas. See, Paul, even though he was in prisons miles away in Rome, he made it a priority to thank God and to pray to God on their behalf. In verse 3, notice what Paul says. Read with me. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What's the next word? Always. Not just sporadically, not just when, you know, I'm free. Always he's remembering them in prayer. Always he's offering prayer. But how is he doing this? Offering prayer with, what's the next word? Joy. Joy. He's offering prayer with joy in every prayer for y'all. See, the gospel message brings joy to every person who believes. In this letter alone, as we will study it, we will find out that Peter speaks of joy exactly or at least a little bit over a dozen times. There's a lot of emphasis on joy. He wants the Christians, the believers in Philippi, to be joyful. There's a reason for us to find joy in serving Christ. But how many, how many of us do? As Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the face of the planet. Do we find joy in praying for others? Do we find joy in reading God's Word? Do we find joy in coming to church? Do we find joy in praying individually and collectively with one another for those who are around the world? Do you rejoice greatly when someone comes to faith in your personal life or maybe in our church? Those are moments of celebrations. And, Joel, and, and Paul, Paul rejoiced every time he heard good news from the Philippians. We need to rejoice and be glad when there are people that join God's family. During Easter time, we went and visited some of my family from Sunita's side. And my, my niece, Minnie, shared something very joyful with me. She said, today, I made a decision to trust in Christ. And I told Sunita, we got to celebrate. We got to say, we got to make it big. We got to celebrate. That should be important to all of us, whether parent or an aunt, or uncle, or even brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible tells us that Paul was very, very faithful and committed to serving God wherever he went. In the many years of serving and establishing churches, he never forgot the believers in those churches. See, it had been about 10 years when Paul founded the church in Philippi. Now, if you see the map, okay, kind of navigate yourself Look through Macedonia, okay? You'll see the city of Philippi in Macedonia. See, the city was located in ancient Greece on the eastern border of the Roman province of Macedonia. 
It was a strategic location in ancient times as many travelers would go from, um, from Philippi on the way to Rome. And also from Rome, they would travel all the way to Asia Minor. So it was a major highway that saw a lot of traffic, a lot of people going back and forth. It was regarded, according to Robert Gromacki, a scholar and an author, he said, it was regarded as the chief leading city of that part of Macedonia that later became a Roman colony. See, the city of Philippi had a very rich history. The city was named after Philip II. For those of you who are historians here, Philip II was the father of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, under his rule, the city became, to, it became the capital of the Greek Empire. I am from Greece, so I should know a little bit about it, right? But it's important for us to know the history and how the Bible relates to all these locations and how it can come to life as we look at what God has done in history. It was the location of a major Roman battle in 42 B.C., and many soldiers settled there and occupied the place from that moment on. It was a prominent and wealthy city. Now, in the pictures that you see here, the biblical city of Philippi, on the bottom corner, on this side right here to my left, that was the prison that Paul and Silas were in. That's where they were in prison when they went to Philippi and preached the gospel. See, the church of Philippi was founded in 50 A.D., and this was the first time that the gospel had reached that far. It was the first church, the first Christian church in Europe. Acts chapter 16 verse 4 records this and tells us this about the success of Paul and his missionary team. He says, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and they were increasing in numbers daily. Where Paul is going, where the missionaries are traveling from place to place to place to place, God is increasing his family. Believers are coming to faith. And then, on the way to Philippi, notice what happens. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9, you can write that down real quick. A vision appears to Paul. He's sleeping. Okay, he's been traveling. In this vision, there's a man from Macedonia. It says, Paul, come and help us here. We need your help. And from that vision, Paul is obedient takes his missionary team, Silas, Luke, Timothy, and they traveled to Philippi. And there they shared the gospel message. And they reached a lot of people. At Philippi, for those of you that remember, they are preaching the gospel to women. They're preaching the gospel to Lydia and her household. They're preaching the gospel to a lady who was demon-possessed who the magistrates in town were using to make money. And Paul says, you know what? Enough of this lady. We're going to save her. See, this lady was constantly, constantly uh, telling people, these guys are here to cause trouble. They are servants of the Most High God. And Paul had enough. The Bible tells us Paul was so annoyed by her because she was doing this every day. Paul says, enough. Evil spirit. Come out of her. And this lady was saved who was once possessed by the spirit of Satan. Also the jailer. You guys remember the, the prison, right? There's a jailer that's put in charge of keeping Paul 
and Silas in chains with other prisoners. And the Bible tells us that, that there's an earthquake that took place. Their chains come undone. Everybody in prison's chains comes undone. The jailer is so worried. That he's like, oh, I failed at my job. I'm ready. I'm going to have to take my life. Because that's basically what, they, what, they, that's what he would get if he failed to uh, fulfill his duties. He, he would be killed. Or, but he's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, wait, wait. We're here still. You don't have to do that. That very moment, the jailer invites Paul and Silas to his house. Not in jail, but he takes them to his house, cleans them up, treats them for all the wounds and stuff because they were beaten severely on that day. And that night, the jailer and his whole household was saved by the gospel that Paul preached to them. See, there's a lot of history in the city of Philippi. There's a lot of people that Paul touched, and he never forgot about those people. After Paul and Silas, the Bible tells us, were released from prison, they go to Lydia's house, which became basically the place of worship, the place where the believers got together and encouraged one another. It was the first church, Lydia's church, Lydia's house. According to the late author, Robert Grimaki, here's what he says about the church. The young church at Philippi probably had a very strange membership. Have you been to a church and you're like, man, there's a lot of strange members in here? Okay. It's not Poolsville, I hope. Okay? But here's what, here's, what, here's what this guy says. It consisted of a businesswoman, a demonic soothsayer, a jailer, and perhaps a few prisoners. How's that for membership? See, the gospel message, regardless of the backgrounds of these individuals, it brought these people together. It brought joy. The Bible tells us that when they received the gospel, they had experienced great joy. See, the believers in Philippi, when they received the letter from Paul, they experienced great, great joy. Their hearts were filled with excitement as they were encouraged by Paul's words and as he was praying for them and thanking them for their service. Paul loved the church at Philippi, and he cared for them because they were with Paul from the very beginning. He was confident God was going to complete the good work that he had started in, in the city of Philippi, in the church at Philippi. Read with me verse 6. Paul says, For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does this verse mean to us today? How can you tell whether God has begun a good work in you? See, first of all, if you've been saved and have received Christ as Lord and Savior, that's a great start. As we receive Christ, He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to guide us and direct us in life. This process is not something that happens overnight, the Bible tells us. Each and every day, your attitude, your words, your actions must become more like Jesus. It's a process that's ongoing from the young to the old. Paul says that it is continuous. And we will reach this completeness. We will reach this perfection until the day of Jesus Christ. When he returns and when we get to heaven with him. This process is called sanctification. And Paul was praying and thanking the believers in Philippi. Saying, God has begun a great work in you. Keep up the good work. He is not done with you. And he's telling us the same thing today. 
God is not done with Pools Grove Baptist Church. He's not done with you individually. You might say, well, I've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Some of us have been longer. God is not done with you yet. You're not complete yet until the return of Christ. So stand firm in the faith. Trust God who began that process to complete it. Let me ask this question to our youth. Because this is an important part for them to hear. You guys have a long life ahead of you. And some of you are young Christians. Some of you are still navigating and trying to find out what this Christian life is about. I want to challenge you to allow God to work in your life. I want Him to use you in a mighty way. And don't lower your standards in this culture that you guys are being grown in. In this culture that's constantly attacking you and telling you're nobody. God has a plan for you. Just like Peter at age 15, God is going to do some amazing things if you allow him to complete his work in you. And that could be said for all of us here today. In the next part of our text, Paul, in verses 9 through 11, he specified what he was praying for in regard to the Philippians. He prayed that their love for other Christians would overflow. This love is not just love based on feelings. It's not the love that the world knows. It's love that's based on spiritual knowledge. It's based on wisdom. It's based on, in, on discernment and insight. It's a godly love. And what was the purpose of such prayer? Why is Paul praying for them in this way? He gives us the answer in the following, verse 11. So they can be pure, blameless, and sincere before the Lord. See, Paul used these words because he wants us to live in such way until the return of Christ. We can be excellent. We can be blameless before God and men if we allow our lives to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in a righteous path. He says, clothe yourself with Christ and be filled with the Spirit so that you can produce fruit. Galatians chapter 5. Paul wanted the believers at Philippi to be in a right relationship with God, but also in a right relationship with others. His prayer and desire should be the same for our church and our believers here today. As a church, are we praying and thanking God for other believers? Are we praying for other churches in our area? We take time to do that. Are we praying for our missionaries and ministries that we support locally and globally? I think we can learn a lot about Paul's devotion in serving the Lord in these areas. We take time on Sundays and Wednesdays here at PBC to pray for, for those areas. And I want to extend an invitation to you today. Come and pray with us. On Wednesday nights. Come and find joy in serving God. In the areas of thanksgiving and prayer. For the saints. This brings us to our number two point in the outline. How do we find joy in serving Christ? Number two. By partnering with believers in the ministry of the gospel. By partnering with believers in the ministry of the gospel. See so the Christian believers at Philippi. They had this long-term partnership with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. 
The church had sent financial gifts to support Paul during his ministry. They were very generous. The church also sent, as we're going to find out later on, one of their members, Epaphroditus, who goes in because he hears Paul is in prison. He takes a gift to Paul. Epaphroditus gets sick. The people worry about the member of their church. Is he going to come back or not? He gets sick to the point of death. Paul sends Timothy back to them saying, hey, you're not alone. I'm going to send you somebody to take care of you during this time. So there was this constant back and forth relationship, ministry, partnership that was happening at Philippi. The ministry of the gospel had been fruitful and had been making an impact in their community. Paul in verse 5 says, uh, they were participants in the gospel from the very beginning. They were faithful. They were committed to the cause of Christ. And they were partakers of the God's grace along with Paul. Paul enjoyed that long-lasting partnership, and he held them very dear to his heart. This unwavering commitment to Christ and the message brought great joy to the apostles' lives. As you read this chapter... We find out that Paul emphasized the word gospel a lot here. And I've included the verses there. Over nine times, he's going to use the word gospel in a different, in a different way. It's a different phrase. But the gospel is still there. The defense of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. The participation of the gospel. There's different ways we can participate in the gospel ministry. As Christians and members of the body of Christ, we are also partners in the mystery of the gospel. As partners in the gospel with other believers, what have you personally accomplished for God's kingdom? Think about some of these things. Think, think about the things that we have accomplished and partnered with here locally, regionally, in other states and around the world. We're going to take a team this coming week uh, me, Brian, and Vern, we're going to go and join uh, a conference at Grace Harbor Church. That is one of the churches that we have ministered but also partnered with through giving, through communications. We had the pastor come in and do a service. We don't want to forget about the partnership that we have with other people outside of our walls. God is working around the world, and the more committed that we are to partnering in His mission the more fruit we will see. This brings us to our last and final point. How do we find joy in serving Christ? By encouraging one another, sharing our faith boldly, and seeing God at work in others. In this last part of the text, Paul wanted to assure his original audience that his ministry had not stopped just because he was in prison. In fact, it had the opposite effect. During his confinement, the gospel had been proclaimed and being spread out to different parts of the world. As Paul wrote the many letters that we talked about earlier, those letters traveled beyond his prison walls. Five of the 13 letters were written while he was in prison. While in prison, the Bible tells us Paul was able to gain a new audience. He preached the gospel to Caesar's household, to the palace guard, to the servants, to the soldiers that were watching him when he was under house arrest. So Paul got other opportunities in sharing the gospel, though he was in a difficult situation, just like our friend Peter. As a result, 
Notice, as a result of his imprisonment, God also raised other people to share the gospel. As we read in verse 18, notice what he says, verse 18. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I will rejoice. He says, okay, I've been in prison. There's been some people who are trying to take advantage of the situation. Um, we don't exactly know the motives. Paul doesn't give us the specifics. But I'm sure that there's some selfish uh, desires, uh, rise to fame of certain individuals. Say, hey, you know what? Paul is in prison. It's my time to shine. And Paul says, you know what? They're sharing the gospel, and in that I rejoice. I don't care if they are talking badly about me. Note that Paul is not condoning false teaching in this message. Some might say that. These people were preaching the gospel, but with, with selfish ambitions. They were not preaching a false gospel. Later on, actually, Paul is going to warn the Philippians, saying, be careful of the false teachers. So he's not condoning false preachers. He's saying, those who are preaching the gospel, even though they may not see eye to eye with me, they're doing something with the gospel. The gospel is reaching people. I rejoice in that. You know, in our media-saturated culture, there's a lot of people who are trying to become famous in the name of Christ. Should we be worried about people who are spreading the gospel? In our culture of Christian YouTubers and influencers, there are many that are sharing the good news of the gospel. However, I do want to warn us to be cautious and exercise wisdom and support for those who are preaching the true gospel. Those who are preaching the true gospel out of goodwill and out of love for God. Ask this question. Ask this question to identify whether a person is actually preaching the true gospel or not. Is this person promoting Christ first or are they promoting themselves? See, for Paul... They were promoting the gospel, and in that he took joy. As Christians, we may not agree with all the different ways that people are sharing the gospel, but if they're sharing the gospel in truth and in goodwill, we should rejoice of the fruit that it's bearing. As we conclude, let's pray together.